We are in Ecclesiastes 8, uh, verses 14 through 17. So, um, Victor Mallon preached last week, and he uh, stole all of the first three chapters of this book from me. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He did a great job summarizing the first three chap- chapters. And so, uh, I, I think there is a, a specific refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes that we'll look at, and the, the passage that we'll look at today kind of summarizes the, the kind of thrust of the book, and uh, I'll talk about why that's the case, and then over the course of the next seven or eight weeks, we'll go through various topics with, within the book that I think will be highly applicable to how we think and how we live, and so um, this, this is just kind of setting up the framework for how we're going to work through um, the book, and I... I am excited to share it with you. So this is Ecclesiastes 8, verses 14 through 17. Um, Just as a way of reminder, the word vanity means breath or vapor. Um, And the person that's teaching it often uh, is debated on who this is. We're thinking of the person writing this as the figure of Solomon in Scripture, the son of King David, very wise, most wealthy man to ever live. Uh, There's debate over that, just FYI. And so vanity, breath, we're looking at, can there be meaning to life without God? And this is what uh, Kohelet says. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said, this also is a vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, And to see the business that's done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man can't find out the work that is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Um, We're going to pause here and pray and talk about the the value of pausing just period in our lives. But one of the things we're doing is that we're remembering that God's present with us. We're gathered here for the purpose of bringing our awareness into attunement with the fact that God, by the Holy Spirit, is with you right now. And that's uh, that's pretty uh, a remarkable and serious and beautiful thing. And so let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for teaching us what it means to be creatures, to be limited. For most of our lives, we, in all honesty, we try to take your place. We try to have knowledge and wisdom that only you can know. And when we do that, we cut against the grain of our own being. And we actually cut against the grain of the world. And so life becomes 
toilsome and anxious and hard. Um, and Lord, you came down in the person of Jesus uh, to reteach us how to rediscover joy. Um, and you not only did that, but you uh, were righteous and you were treated like you were wicked. And that is the whole center of the story of creation and, and, and the cosmos. And Lord, I ask that you would center our hearts on the fact that you are present with us by the Spirit revealing to us the beauty of Jesus Christ, even years before uh, he came on the scene here in this book of Ecclesiastes, and that we would see you as the great teacher, the wise teacher. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, this is what we're going to talk about today. So you cannot figure life out, okay? Okay. With that, you need to pause. In that pause, you need to move towards joy. When you move towards joy, you will begin to realize what Ecclesiastes is teaching. You're going to be, begin to realize that God's present with you. And then you enter back into the task that you were doing in a different way. Okay? Um. When I was younger, I learned to work during the summers, like manual labor work with my grandfather. He was a step-grandfather, so we called him Charlie. And he had me using this uh, tool that I had never used before. It's called a fence post driver, where you take this thing, like, like jam a post down into the ground. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was expending a lot of energy and kind of flaily. I was young and I was very out of breath when I was doing it. And uh, I ended up almost losing this finger. I uh, messed, missed the, the post and I still have a scar here. And during that time, I had to just kind of step back and watch Charlie do it himself. And what I noticed is that Charlie was expending a lot less energy and getting a lot more done than I was doing. And I, I, you know, was very, very young and, and like could do a lot more than him in terms of energy. And I, I remember having this feeling of, as I was sitting there watching him, because he was paying me to do some work, I, I felt useless. I felt unproductive. I felt like I should be doing more. I didn't know what to do with my hands, part of it, because I was hurting. Um, and I, I think part of what the book of Ecclesiastes does is that it, un, it unsettles us and makes us feel, if we do actually what Kohelet is teaching us to do, it's going to make us feel unproductive and like we're not doing enough and that we're not being useful. And that's part of the point of the book. That's part of the point in some, in some sense of the whole Bible. It's meant to get you to stop for a moment and to consider the way in which you are moving through life. And that's unsettling. It makes us feel not productive. What I needed to do when I was trying to pound that post into the ground is that I needed to step back and observe Charlie 
and begin to ask questions. And that's what Kohelet, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is wanting to accomplish in his gathered listeners. That's what he's wanting to accomplish in your heart right now. He wants to invoke questions in you, and he, he's not going to answer those questions. And we hate that. <laughs> we hate uh, not getting the answer right away. We want to complete the task. We want people just to tell us what to do so that we can, we can reach the goal, so that we can get that post into the ground. And wisdom wants to slow you down and just say, I don't want to focus on the what right now. I want to focus on the how, the posture, the way in which you are moving through this world, the way in which you are getting tasks done, the way in which you relate to other human beings, the way in which you use words. And so here's the point of this passage. We're going to summarize it really fast and we're going to talk about it, okay? It's unsettling. That's a warning, okay? You can't figure life out. That's, that's what, and, and he uses justice as an example in verse 14. He says that you can be as good as you can possibly be. Moral, you can do the right thing. And you will be treated as if you did wickedness. And the flip side, there are other anomalies that you can be wicked. You could do bad stuff. You could be very, very immoral. And you get the reward as if you were righteous. Now, if you look at your own life, and if you look at the world, you'll notice these same anomalies if you look long enough. That there are things that, you know, you... You were, you were supposed to get this if you did this, and it didn't happen. And it's, it's good to embrace this right now. makes us unsettled what the writer is saying to us as we gather and hear the word. He's saying your life is like an impossible math equation that you cannot figure out. How are we feeling? <laughs> And he's like, and on top of that, what makes it worse is that there are going to be people that come along. This is what 16 and 17 say. There are going to be people that come along who actually are wise, who actually do know some things, who are very smart, who have a lot of knowledge, and they're going to say they know. They're going to say that they get it, that they, they, they can understand, that they can figure out the equation. And he says, even though they say that they can know, they don't know. And he has credibility to say it because he was the wisest person that ever lived. He had more than any of us have ever had. He had more pleasure, he had more knowledge, he had more relational acumen. And he, said, he says, he goes to the end of that thought, he's like, I thought I could get there. I thought I could figure it out. I thought I could think deeply enough. I thought I could accumulate enough stuff to like finally get it. And he said, I couldn't figure it out. We can't know the how or why of God's judgments here underneath the sun. We can know that all of us will ultimately be judged, and that's a refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes. But in terms of how to discern it here and now, we ain't going to figure it out. And so... What does he do in the midst of that? Kohelet, commit, this is a strange thing. Because my feeling is like, okay, what do, okay I'm unsettled now. Um, what, do, what do we do? Kohelet, it says he commends 
joy. Verse 15. What does that look like? It means to enjoy food and drink and to live your day. Verse 15, that, that's not saying to give yourself to self-indulgence or drunkenness or overindulgence with food. He's already tried that earlier on in the book. This is something different. He's commending things, and, and this is very, very, very interesting. He's commending things in a given day that particularly make you glad. That you know you can receive with delight. Now, before the alarm bells go off in our minds, which, you know, nihilism means nothing matters, hedonism means, you know, pleasure seekers. Most of us, when we hear that, we think, well, that's just like nihilism that leads to hedonism. You know, eat, drink today for tomorrow you die. Nothing matters. And so just do whatever feels good. But actually, Kohelet includes work as a part of the things that bring us joy repeatedly in this refrain. So in Ecclesiastes 2.24, it says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. It's the word for work. So what he's saying is that there is a different way to work. There is a different way to live. There's a different type of being moved into the world that isn't driven so anxiously. And there is a different way to even experience pleasure. Alistair Roberts says, Wisdom is finding delight in the vapor without losing sight of its vaporous character. So often when uh, people read Ecclesiastes or you hear it, this teacher is like knocking down everything that you've ever rested on and everything that you're kind of striving for and you're left thinking, well, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know where to go with what this is teaching. And that's part of the method of learning something new. That's part of what he's wanting to accomplish in our souls and in our approach to our lives. And here's the refrain throughout the whole book. And he says it in variations. But verse 15, what it's saying, you guys, is that you need to, in that unsettled pause you need to move towards joy. You need to pursue the things that give you gladness. You need to pursue delight. Food, drink, work, family if you have them. And there are things in each day, no matter who you are, no matter how poor or rich or what, whatever is in between, that God gives you things that you don't conjure up, things that you didn't make happen, things that you don't necessarily work for that are simply a delight to you. And Kohelet says, he says, it's actually better to know how to enjoy that thing and those things in your life than to work yourself to the bone. That it's actually better, it's actually better to know how to be delighted in the simple things in a particular given day than to making lots and lots and lots of money. He says it's actually better to enjoy the simple things in a given day than having endless sex. 
It's actually, it's even better than having a ton of knowledge and a ton of wisdom. Now, why would this be the case? And this is part of where I find this book so liberating because it is so honest. The reason why this is the case, the reason why he's teaching us this, is that there is something that we are all on a quest for. And it usually stems from your story and what you were told growing up and what you were told to go after growing up or what to avoid. But you have a quest to get something, to gain something underneath the sun. And that instinct is a quest to do life without God. And God is simply like, through this book, he's simply coming to you and he says, look, look, you don't have, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Why don't, why, don't you, why don't you let me be who I am, God says, and you be who you are. And God looks at you and says, you are a limited creature. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your knowledge is not like my knowledge. And so be limited. Be a creature. You don't have to strive like that. And he says, even in that, in that moment, I've given you so many pathways for joy. And just receive them. The creation itself is your playground. Do your work. Do your work. But don't let work do you. Pursue joy, but know that it's, it's, it's going to melt as soon as it hits your hand. And it's good while it lasts, but it goes away. And that's it. Now, does that sound... Too simple for you? I know it does to me. It doesn't sound like, well, I, I mean, I kind of want to leave a mark. Or, like, I, that doesn't sound very ambitious, you know? <laughs> like, is that it? Is there an instinct in you that wants much, much, much more? Now, I want to do a little thought experiment with you. Um, I want you to think about the reason why there... There, there, is a, there is a very, very important reason to focus on the delights in a given day and to know how to enjoy life. Who are the people, who are the people in your life that you most have enjoyed throughout the course of your life? Like, who are the people when you think about, I really, I really actually admire that person, or when I was around them, when I was around them, I instinctively thought like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we all should be. My guess is, is that it's not the people that who, have, who have amassed a ton of wealth. It's not the people that like can command a room. It's not the people that are like extremely gifted or beautiful. It's, you know, what's, what's very interesting is what people say about the deceased at funerals especially those that they loved and that were in their family. You know what they always mention at funerals? It's what, it's what the deceased loved to enjoy in life. 
That's what sticks with people. My guess is, is that there's some grandma that has died in your past and she knew how to enjoy life. And when you were around her, you instinctively felt, yeah, I wish I could have done it like that. I wish I knew how to effortlessly receive the delights in a given day. That's what sticks with you. That's what sticks with people. And the reason why is because that's what it means to be a, hum- a limited creature, not cutting against the grain of your own being. Not cutting against the grain of how the world has meant to, is meant to, to function in your life and how you're meant to function within it. Like, I still remember one of the most impactful sermons I've ever heard. It was right after I converted. I was like 17 years old, entered into a Presbyterian church. I didn't know what Presbyterian, Presbyterians were. And he was like talking about all sorts of things from the Bible that I didn't understand. And then he went into this long monologue about how great his Thanksgiving meal was going to be. It was like the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I'm serious. Like he, it was like a minute and a half. He's like, in the mashed potatoes and the green bean casserole. And it was just like on and on and on. And it was like, you could see it in his face. Like this dude is like in heaven. And I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would be like, now you get in the picture. Enjoy your life. Can you do it? Without God, we cannot make sense of the difficult tragedies that we observe in the world. But more, and this, if you struggle with, with cynicism, if you struggle with being too dark, you need to hear this. Without God, you cannot make sense of the joy. You can't give an account for it. Why is it there? Like, why, when you look at a creation, is it like effortlessly delightful to your senses? That does not make sense. Unless there is something above the sun. And what Kohelet is saying is that the reason why is because these, in receiving these gifts in a given day, not not taking them, but, but receiving them for what they are, in that pause, what's happening when you learn to do that over and over and over again, is that you're learning to drive the fence post into the ground in a different way, in a more wise way, in a way that doesn't harm you or harm other people or overly exhaust you. If you're overly exhausted, you need to listen to this. And in the end, it's going to be a more productive way, but that's not the point. It's not, that's not the point. To be more productive, the point is joy. The point is that word is simha. It's used all the time in the Psalms. It's, called, it's the oil of gladness. It's when you have the shine of God on you. For you young parents out there, I don't know if you're like this. I, um, I get annoyed... Kids, forgive me, my own children. I get annoyed when we're out in public and they <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the part yet, Domery. <laughs> um, when they walk in front of me and they're walking too slow, you know? Y'all talking about? And I'm just like, like, can you can you just hurry? Like get out of the way, you know? And oftentimes it's like I'm just trying to get into a restaurant or something. 
And they're just easily distractible by the things in creation. You're like, ooh, a puppy. Or like, look, a worm. And like, the sky. And I'm just like, we got to get in the restaurant, you know. And I began to think about like, um, why, why am I trying to get into the restaurant so fast? Like, what, a, what am I wanting in the restaurant? What I'm wanting in the restaurant is for them to have joy and for me to have joy with them. And I think part of what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying is that, look, what you're trying to attain is already right in front of your face. And you must learn that your kids are wiser than you on this point. You must learn to pause. You must learn that that part of you that's like, I got to, got to, I got to keep the schedule. I, who's, you know, who's going to pay for the clothes? Who's going to pay for the bills? Who's going to actually do the work in the group project? You know, this thing in us that's constantly driven that we chop our fingers off. You know, we're trying to get the fence post down. Well, the the disciples of Jesus came to him with this same sort of thing. They were worried about not being able to provide for themselves and their children. Like, well, who's going to feed us and who's going to clothe us? And you know what Jesus said? He said, look, look at those flowers and those birds. And in the wisdom tradition, he said, you know, those flowers don't toil or spin. And the implication being that, and you guys are toiling and spinning. And then he says this amazing thing in Matthew 6, 29. He says, those flowers are actually better clothed than King Solomon. And they didn't do anything to get it. They didn't work. And so he says, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to worry about itself. Now, here's where I want to drill in. Um, there, is, there is something that's driving you. It's that feeling like you better get to it. It's that feeling like you haven't done enough. It's that feeling I had when I'm watching my grandfather and I'm just like, I'm being useless, just sitting here watching. I'm not being productive. There is something telling you that you need to use every bit of your energy to pound that post into to the ground, to grind that the glory is found, the gl- your glory, the thing that matters is found in your determination and what you bring to the table. And God intends to change that in you. And the key to life is not what you gain, but what you give up. It's not what you try to keep but what you give away. And the grain of wheat does not come to life unless it falls to the ground. And there's not one single person in this room that doesn't struggle with that in their own way, in our own way. That's why Kohelet has us gathered together and he's inviting us to ask from this text, what is it, what is it in your life? What is it that's got you spinning? What is it? And you may just be like, I just want a stable life, man. I just want rest. I, I just want to be a good parent. I just want my parents to stop hassling me. I just want to be a good evangelist. I want more intimacy. I want more money. I just want to, I just want to understand. I don't understand anything. I want to be right. I want political peace. I want people to stop dying. I just want to live a little longer. 
You know, I want my child not to be sad. I want my spouse to be dead. Whatever it is. Typically, underneath that drivenness, you are thinking that you know better than God. And that you have cause to be worried and anxious. And Eastern thought would tell you, this is a summary, to detach yourself from those desires, and that's where you'll find healing. And Western thought is like, you got to strive to attain it. And the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't detach himself or obsess over it, but he comes down into life underneath the sun. So that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. John fifteen eleven. I have found that even an overly anxious person, such as myself, can find something to delight in in a given day. Jesus would say, consider the lilies, and after that, when you are ready to not be anxious about tomorrow, you are learning that tomorrow will be anxious for itself, and I don't have to be. The enjoyment of creation points us to life above the sun. It points us to God when you allow yourself the ability to enjoy a thing. Let me tell you how serious this is and how important it is. I had a friend once who was a minister who was living a complete double life. And I went down to visit him after he had confessed and come clean. And I asked him, I was like, what made you confess? What made you come clean? Because he confessed into a, in a whole group, in front of a whole group of people. He said, you know, I was involved in levels of deception that still confuse me. I knew I was in the wrong. And during the time when I was most deeply entrenched in that double life, I had this moment in my backyard where my daughter, I was, I was watching from inside the house, I was watching my daughter from the window, and she had this bubble gun, and the dog was out there, and it was just the most beautiful, epic day, and they were blowing the bubbles, and they were nipping, and, and he, he was like, I... I didn't understand how I could get something so beautiful when I was being so, so terrible. I didn't understand why the delights of this given day right here in front of me were still open to me. He said, that's where repentance began in my heart. That I could not, I could not compute that's what the Bible says, y'all. God's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not His force. And when you give yourself to the joy of a given day, which is what Kohelet is doing, it's reminding you that there's life above the sun. And that life above the sun is a God that's very good and gracious and kind to you, and He wants to give you joy. And it, it's, you know, when we hear that, we're just like, okay, I'm just going to work hard at being content. I'm, I'm going to give up on that thing. I'm trying, it's like, that's not going to work. Um, how this works, you guys, is, is being in community. This is what the church is for. 
is to hold your hand and slowly tell you, like, hey, like, you don't need that thing. You just need me and you give people a bear hug. You need my enjoyment of you. You know, you need, you need to know that people enjoy you without that thing. And you cannot do that alone. And I'll end here. There's a, a comedian, Jenny Slate. She gets very, she's a, she's a wonderful, hilarious comedian, but she says she still gets stage fright and, and a lot of fear right before she goes and, and gives a show. And she was asked about that, and she's, she's like, well, are you afraid that you're not going to be funny? And she paused for a long time, and she got teary. And she's like, no, I think it's deeper than that. What, what, I'm, what I'm afraid of is that they won't like me. I hope they like me. And what she's saying is that I want to be enjoyed. And y'all, when Jesus came to earth, he stood before the crowd, and that thing that Jenny Slate is so frightened of, that's what consumed him. Uh, it, it, was, it was him that was treated as the wicked and the fool. And the reason he did that was, was because you were the thing that gave him joy. And he wanted you, the only one that ever felt the full enjoyment of God constantly, he wanted you to know what that feels like. To not be afraid of losing it. And so when Jesus says at this table, you need to take me in, I am yours, he, he means it. And through him we get to rediscover the grace of being enjoyed. That's what the, so when you go out and you look at the birds and you look at the lilies or you watch your children, they like instinctively know how to enjoy things. We can learn from that. And to the degree that you experience the enjoyment of God will be the degree that you can enjoy other people without trying to control them. And contrary to what we may have initially thought about Kohelet, that he's just going to depress us, <laughs> he actually pushes us towards joy throughout, throughout the book. And that's the thing that matters most in the whole world, actually, and the thing that will last, that you are meant to enjoy God and Him to enjoy you forever. And that you learn that I can suffer the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ. And so I can rest. That's what this day is about. It's, it's about, okay, I've been striving all week. I can pause. I can go towards the joy and then enter back into whatever task lays ahead of me in a different way, in a more wise way, in a way that's rooted in movement out of rest, not exhausting myself so I have to rest. It's a different way of being. It's a gospel way of being. That's why Jesus, the one greater than Solomon, came. That's what he shows us. So let's pray. And Steve, uh, Pastor Steve's going to lead us in confession of uh, sin and uh, assurance of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the joys of today. And um, the sun, the snow, the beautiful faces of your images all around us. And so, Father, as we move into the rest of the day, help us to pursue the things that give us delight, not uh, in 
in trying to get away from you, but in trying in, in trying to remember that you're present with us, that all things are holy because you're present. And so, Lord, give us give us the ability to to hold those two things together that we cannot we are not going to be able to figure out life. But we have this day and there are good things in this day. And when we pursue that, we come into the awareness that you're with us and we enter our work differently. And so uh, teach us to number our days, Lord, Uh, teach us that you came down in Christ's name. Amen.